This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far-left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd. This is episode 335. I'm Dan Ellis. Today... We will be uh, having part two of our Christian nationalism coverage. This is a multi-part episode, podcast episode series talking about this particular subject. Before we jump into that, though, I want to say that I am joined via remote by two awesome Mr. (laughs) Co-hosts. Fuck yeah. (laughs) would be Mr. Duffy. Hell yeah. I also want to note, I think this is the first time we've done a multi-part episode. Is it? I think think we did another one, but I can't remember exactly what it was about. And it was basically just that we ran out of time and decided, okay, well, let's put (laughs) it into another one. Yeah. Uh, I know that the Steve Bannon episode that I wrote for you guys um, under a pseudonym a couple years back was a two-parter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we've had a couple different things. Like one, yeah, the the Steve Bannon one ended up like we didn't initially plan it to be multi-episode, but it turned out that way. And then mm-hmm. um there was another and I think there were two at least two others that well, the, were like Well, then this that. is the first time we've planned on having a multi-episode. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so there's, there's been yeah, yeah. a little bit of there's been some guardrails put on what we're going to talk about a little bit, <laughs> a little little framed a little bit better. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's Mr. Duffy and also Mr. Grin. Which, hi, hello, I'm here. <laughs> oh, these intros are getting smoother all the time. <laughs> you wouldn't think that you've done it 335 times. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, what have you guys been doing since the last time we chatted? Well, I worked uh, overtime this week, so not a whole lot, but uh, I've got my first, I guess, commission. To Ooh. do a restoration. Ooh, on what? Um, it's my friend's dad has it, and it's a it's a piece that's over a hundred years old, which makes it a little scary. Uh, but it's in good shape. It's basically like uh, I don't know what you'd call it. It's got like a little fold out desk and some drawers on it, then uh, like a glass side with shelves in it. Mm. Um, but apparently his. His the father, uh, his brother had it for a long time and he wanted it back and he finally got it back and it's been sitting in his garage for a little while and he just wanted to get it, you know, cleaned up and restored and fixed and mm. back in working order. So he said, Hey, uh, let's get see if Duffy is willing to do it. I'll pay him. So oh, that's like, cool. Okay. I'm like, it's not, it's not fucked up. So <laughs> it should be more than finding a couple replacement parts, some polishing some brass and, restoring some wood well that's very cool so that'll be fun i look forward to seeing the before and after pictures that'll be pretty fancy how about you mr grin um just living my best life um (laughs) i've been uh i've been going back to the gym lately which has been fun um a few weeks back doing one of the exercises i Definitely had to go outside and throw up. And uh, today I did basically the same exercise and did not throw up. So that was progress improvements. Yay. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So I am ridiculously out of shape. So that has been a delight. Oh, dude, who are you way too easily? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I today bringing in we, we had a bunch of blinds delivered. I ordered blinds for the whole house. Um I went to bring him in the house and I picked up one of the longer, heavier boxes by the plastic straps that they were wrapped with. So I grabbed it by the two straps, brought it in the house and, you know, twisted and went to lean it against the wall and just oh, in no. twisting and leaning it against the wall. Like I felt and heard something in my back kind of pop. 
And oh, now, no. now when I look to the right, like I can feel it all the way down my spine and it hurts to breathe. <laughs> so. Oh, be careful, man. Be careful. That's how I, that's, that's similar to how I fucked up my back real bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was moving a, um, like, uh, oh shit. What do you call that? Ryan, you'll probably know this where it's like kind of a, not quite like a dresser thing where it's got drawers on the bottom and then a big open up cabinet on the top. Like a curio? Armoire, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's the one. Armoire, Armoire. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was moving it on a dolly, and I had to like twist it to get from the hallway into the bedroom. And whatever I did when I did that, I didn't feel anything immediately. But like I got, you know, I I, I was moving my my midsection all kind of ways <laughs> I shouldn't have been. And I went and I took a shower, and I got out and I dropped my towel, and I went to bend and pick it up, and I just done like out <laughs> like if i if i breathed too hard i would cry like Ugh. i had to get an mri and shit and i had limited range of motion for like years Ugh. and then and then one day like four years later i was i was squatting down to pick up like maybe a 20 pound box and i felt or heard i'm honestly not sure like a kind of clicking sensation and when i stood up full mobility restored oh wow <laughs> yeah and and I went to a physical therapist and she was like, you probably had scar tissue that was like forming a knot that was stopping like one band of muscle from passing through another band of muscle or something similar. And that that scar tissue had worn away enough for the movement to be restored. And uh, it's been weird. Like when Sandra first met me, I could not like properly reach down to tie my shoes. Right. And <laughs> today I was doing like deadlifts and shit. Oh, wow. so uh, yeah. Be careful with your back, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, backs. Backs are a terrible thing to hurt because they just hurt for a long time, and there's nothing you yeah. can do to get comfortable. They were not particularly intelligently designed. I'll say that <laughs> much. So backs aren't meant to hurt all the time. No, that's a it's a sign of uh, bad things. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when it's S shaped and we have stupid hips, kind of like meant to no but as a result of our incomplete evolution for walking upright yeah kind of <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah a little bit uh so over the weekend i got to officiate um my brother-in-law's wedding tracy's youngest brother colton got married to his fiance, who he's been seeing for quite a while several years um sasha and it was a lovely wedding it was a lot of fun. Um, like I said, I was the efficient, uh, Richie, <clears throat> excuse me, Richie Stedman of X96 fame and fortune. <laughs> he's, he's there. He's there. Uh, he's been their producer for years and years now. I think he, honestly, I haven't listened to the show for quite a while, so I'm not sure if he's still on there. I think he is. Um, but he also does uh, DJ work on the side ah. and, uh, does like weddings and stuff. And he's a fucking awesome DJ. He's great. He's fantastic. And it's not just that he got there and did like the DJ stuff of, you know, playing music and fulfilling, you know, music requests and shit like that. Like he was actively helpful in a lot of other shit, like moving chairs around, just oh. like pinching, pitching oh, in wow. and, and being very helpful in all things while he was there and was just super nice. Got everybody very excited. Everybody had a lot of fun. I mean, he got out on the dance floor with people, was teaching everybody, you know, a bunch of different dances and stuff. And just, he was, he was a great, great DJ, a whole lot of fun. If anybody's in the market for that, I would highly recommend him. He was just fucking awesome. And say that name again, uh, Richie Stedman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. There's a post on my wall with, you know, I just commented and said how great he was. If anybody's interested on my Facebook timeline. Um, but he's just, Really, really good. And Richie is LDS, and so we've had our differences about some things. But he's an amazing, amazing DJ. I would, I would recommend him over any other DJ that I've worked with in the past. He was just fucking awesome. He was really, really good. Really, really helpful. Knew his shit. Was in and out. Set up. Knew the right questions to ask. Was just really great. Awesome. I can't say enough good things about him. Um, and the wedding was great. A whole lot of fun. Of course, we've got family in town for that. And we've been hanging out with them. Well, you know, Tracy's oldest brother uh, is in town from Germany with his family for the wedding. And they rented a home. They typically would stay with us, but 
because of the pandemic and everything else. And, and they wanted their own space. So he rented a home and it's got a pool and that's oh. all, that's all great. It was a lot of fun. We were going over there, you know, we went over there a few different days throughout the week while he was in town. And there are, they have some familial ties and relationships with a bunch of different right wingers. And that's fine. That's good. And I have no problem with that at all. And for years, I have been quiet about a bunch of stuff that I've heard said around me and, and the people have done around me that I know I don't want to throw a wrench in the works of, you know, maintaining familial harmony and um, not, I don't, I don't want to be the cause of any family disputes, especially when it's not my family. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it, yeah. It's, yeah. It's Tracy's family. I don't want to piss people off and upset them, but um, it's gotten worse and worse over time, right? Like me not saying things has just made it worse because then that has signaled to everybody that, oh, you know, even if you don't agree with me, you think it's fine that I say this shit out in public and that nobody's going to tell me that I'm wrong. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And not only am I going to keep doing it, it's going to become more frequent and worse every fucking time I open my goddamn mouth. Yeah. The silence is approval. Right. Yeah. 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 So we were at this rental that Tracy's brother had gotten yesterday. I went and played golf, lost my uh, second round of the match play, but awesome awesome guy who I played. I, I couldn't have lost to a better guy. Uh, he's a uh, very well connected here, uh, politically and very well known. So I don't want to mention his name, but super, super you, nice you guy. You played golf with Romney. No, <laughs> no, no uh, I did John not. Huntsman high for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this person is a, uh, trial attorney, but he, He's he's very well connected politically, and anyway, he's just super super nice guy. I really enjoyed spending the day with him and having my ass handed to me on a silver platter from him on the back nine while we were playing this tournament. <laughs> so I lose to him, uh, left the golf course, and just drove over to the rental. And I get there, and there's this guy there who I don't recognize, but apparently we've been introduced and have met each other before at other family functions. Apparently he's a friend of the family. And I, you know, so I, I walked up and I just, you know, sh- stuck my hand out and introduced myself. I said, Oh, hi, I'm, I'm Dan. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm so-and-so. And I know you, we met, you know, a few times before we met the other night and I was at the wedding, blah, blah, blah. And it said, okay, great. There are a lot of things I don't remember about the wedding because I had such a good time. <laughs> um, right. but so then as I'm just, you know, milling around the house, talking to other people in the background, I hear him make like, honest to God, it was every fucking comment that came out of his mouth. was some form of a bigoted denigrating, demeaning comment about members of the LGBTQ community. You know, it was, Oh, gay. Somebody did something and it was, oh, gay. Oh, that's gay. Oh, you fag. You're like, just shit like that over and over and over. Hmm. And I tried to ignore it for a very long time and just carry on conversations with other people and let him be an ignorant dumb fuck. And it, like I said, it was every or almost every comment out of his mouth went that way. And apparently he had made a bunch of other sexist comments before I even got there. So that's going on and on and on. And then he's sitting on a stool in the kitchen, just as I happened to be walking past on my way outside to the pool. And he started a sentence with, no, I don't have a problem with gay people, but, and Mm. that kind of stopped me in my tracks and piqued my interest. So I stopped and turned ready and eager to listen to the wisdom that is going to be bestowed upon the rest of us by this fucking dumb fuck. And the next words out of his mouth were, you know, all these trans people, dudes wanting to, you know, compete against women and shit. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck trans people. Right. And he's like, well, no, but, you know, people with dicks wanting to compete against and beat women in different sports and everything. And I was like, so you're telling me that you think having a dick makes you a man? That's that's the distinction. Well, yeah. And I'm like, no, 
No, it's not because you're not a man. You're a dick. You're a fucking dick. And I just walked out because you guys, you, I'm, I may not have mentioned this on the show before, but I have like, I can, I can put up with a whole lot, but it's like, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And then I turn into like, it goes the, Bruce Banner the into the hole. Like, yeah, I'm like, I've reached my, my fuck it bucket is full. You've just placed the last drop in my murder bucket and it's go time. So, <laughs> so in my intemperate youth, I got into a lot of fights, like a lot of fights. Mm. And sometimes I got my ass kicked and sometimes I didn't. And either way, I had the satisfaction of knowing that I fucking hurt somebody because right. of something they said that was awful. And I've tried to temper that a lot. I've been really good. Like the last actual physical altercation I got in was when I caught my best friend fucking my ex-wife. So that was, yeah. that, that was the last, I remember that story. Yeah. That was the last actual physical altercation I've had. And that's been, you know, 20 years or right close to 20 years ago. And there have been times that I've gotten close to getting into physical altercation with other people, but I've always just walked away before it got that way. But I like secretly fantasize about just smashing people sometimes, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So I just walked away and it's turned into this big thing. And you, you know, after I walked out, family members came out and tried to, tried to calm things down, try to make things a little better, smooth over the rough edges, unripple the waters that I had just disturbed. And so I'm out in the pool and Tracy's mom comes out and she's like, you know, I'm sorry. That was, you know, I, I, you're, you're absolutely right for standing up for what you think and everything. And, and, you know, he's just, he's just ignorant. And I, said, yeah, he is. He's a fucking ignorant asshole. Yeah. And if he thinks it's that it's okay. excuse though. Yeah. And if he thinks it's okay to say shit like that, he's fucking wrong. And I'll tell him that every fucking day of the week. Mm. And then her older brother who was renting the house came out and he tried to smooth things over too. And, and say, you know, well, it's just, you know, it's sad that people think that way, but you know, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, not saying anything isn't going to fucking change their minds. So right, I said right. something. And yeah, so for a really long time, like I said, I've just swallowed the shit and, and, and suppressed it and put up with it and I'm not going to fucking do it anymore. I, I'm almost 50 years old. I don't have to fucking put up with that shit and I'm not going to stand silently by while someone denigrates members of my fucking family, especially when it's some rando fuck who doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Mm -hmm. I was disowned and disinherited by my own father after confronting him about comments he has made. Of course, I'm going to talk to some random fucking dipshit sitting in my brother-in-law's house, making comments about gay people and trans people. I'm not going to just sit there and fucking take it anymore. And so this caused quite a dust up. Um, I am really, really fucking disappointed in the way that other family members have approached it in saying that, you know, well, we just, you know, they're, you're not going to change their minds about this kind of stuff. And it's just the way they were raised and it's unfortunate and stuff like that. Okay. But then you're defending them having bigoted opinions instead of telling them that, them, that they're bigoted opinions and to shift and that if they can't get rid of those opinions, then they should keep them to their fucking selves. Shut and, your and fucking here, mouth. Here's, here's the thing though. Like you have changed my mind, right? Like, I was one of those like trans folks in sports kind of people five, six years ago. And like you specifically, Dan, were the person that was like, no, you're wrong. And like brought me around. So that's a bullshit response. Not only can an individual uh, uh, change another individual's mind on that. You personally have done it at least one observable time. Like I am here. I exist. <laughs> so yeah, that's bullshit. Like that's a bullshit response and feel free to use me as that example. The next time somebody tries to say that shit. Yeah. Well, thank um, you. I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad I was able to get you to change your mind. My I was gonna yeah. say also that if, if someone ever has an argument to counter their own views, they're never going to change their view. Mm -hmm. If they never see another argument being like, hey, no, you're wrong. And this is why you're mm -hmm. wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. 
the the mistake I made is in was, the way I handled it. Like, like I, of course, I didn't, you know, grab him by the throat and smash his fucking face into the marble counter, which is what I really wanted to fucking do. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, instead of yelling at him that he's a fucking dick and saying he's not a man and storming out, I, in the future, would like to be able to maintain grasp of my own anger enough that I can just say, no, you're absolutely wrong. And here's why, or, and, and, or start asking them a series of questions about their thoughts and why they think them and show how they are wrong. I I probably would have countered with, well, trans people have been allowed to compete in the Olympics for the last 20 years. How's that been going for them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many trans athletes have you seen winning gold and standing on the podium? Basically none. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, in the future, I hope to make that change. And I don't know it, it, I, I, I came like I left after that, like I got out of the pool and I, you know, Tracy came out and said something that was not at all helpful. And she and I have had a conversation about that and she feels bad, but I just left and I came home Mm -hmm. with the thought of, okay, well, I've blown stuff up. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not having this shit anymore. I was willing to end all kinds of relationships <laughs> last night. Like I'm fucking done with people. I'll, Oh yeah. I was, I was going yeah. nuclear. Um, but Tracy and I had a long conversation and she completely agrees. Like, and she has been just as upset about all of this in the past and has been because she's a woman who has grown up in Utah. Anytime she has spoken out in the past, she's been bullied down and into silence and acquiescence um, and has not been supported when she speaks out in defense of other people. And so she's very happy or very glad that, you know, I said something because it provides space for her to do so in the future as well. It's not just going to be her lone voice in the void of, and in the middle of all of these other fucking bigoted assholes, as if she's the one who's strange and odd and needs to be socially ostracized. So, Me speaking up has given her uh, more of a voice and enough courage in the future to say things and to stand up for what she thinks and feels instead of trying to just smooth over the edges of shit. So So for all of you out there who may be questioning or wondering or are getting frustrated by uh, having these types of conversations and being met with resistance from your other family members whenever you te- whenever you try to bring them up or confront them about some of their harmful beliefs, really you have a choice. You have a choice. You can allow bigoted views to be expressed without question or correction, dismissing the harm caused to those who are being verbally denigrated in order to maintain peace, or you can stand firm and in the face of bigotry and dehumanizing comments. So which will you choose? And what does that say about you as a person? Because if you choose not to say anything, what does that do? What does it improve? How does it change anything? If anything, the only thing it does is reinforce the people who are saying these things and telling them that it's okay for them to say this shit in public. It's giving them license to do so. So are you willing to speak up in defense of marginalized groups of people or will you stay silent while providing a space for bigotry to be openly and repeatedly expressed regardless of the consequences to other human beings, including those you say you care about, members of your own family who you don't know may be gay or trans and are sitting in the same fucking room listening to another one of your relatives say how awful and stupid they are for being gay or trans? Don't be, don't be someone who sits on the sideline anymore. Will you defend the bigot and their bigotry or the person who speaks out against bigotry? I hope the choice is as clear for everybody else as it was for me because I'm fucking tired of it. Well said. Well said. I agree. Well, thanks. Uh, so I went a little long <laughs> on the opening, but we have a fantastic show lined up with a bunch of information. We, run, we might run a little bit over our stated goal of an hour per episode, but... Those were some things it's I felt okay this week. I felt needed mm. to be said because yeah. I'm yeah. fucking tired of it and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. So, yeah. Let's take a little break and when we get back we'll talk about Christian nationalism and the scourge that it is. 
My name is Mandisa Thomas, and I am the founder and president of Black Nonbelievers Incorporated here in Atlanta, Georgia. You may find us at blacknonbelievers.org. You can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Mandisa Latifa. And you are listening to The Godless Revolution. Well, Mother Teresa was a fanatic, um, fundamentalist, and a fraud. She was not a friend of the poor, as she claimed to be. She was a friend of poverty. Preached it as a, as a good thing, as a gift from God, something to be welcomed along with other kinds of suffering. Wasn't interested in alleviating it. Was a friend of the rich. Took money from the Duvalier family in Haiti, one of the most obscenely bloated uh, dynastic dictatorships in history. Uh, took money from Charles Keating, the man who robbed Americans blind through the Lincoln Savings and Loan. Stolen money. Um, all to build convents in her own name, uh, more than 200 of them around the world, in order to found an order that bore her name. This is not modesty either, nor is it humility. It doesn't exhaust my critique of her either. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. All right. And thank you for joining us. Uh, that break went a little longer than anticipated. Um, yeah, but they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know that. They're, they're unaware of that. Dan was still venting some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had to, we had to cool Dan down, get him, get him simmer down now, simmer down. Simmer um, down now. I'm okay. So today, um, here's what you need to know today. Um, <laughs> um, Today, we're going to be talking about the Christian nationalist view on the founding fathers and how the mythology that they have created about the origin of the United States informs their Christian nationalist uh, uh, you know, viewpoint. Um, I'm going to be looking at this mythologized past as a precursor to Christofascism through predominantly the writings of David Barton. Yeah. David Barton is one of the predominant peddlers of Christian nationalist hagiography. It's been well reported by journalists at Vox, um, as well as scholars at Americans United for Separation of Church and State, the American Human Association, etc., um, that his claims about the Founding Fathers have been taken wildly out of context or spun out of whole cloth. He's However, a liar. Yeah, he's a yeah, liar he for Jesus. A, he is a liar. Yeah. Um, sue us. <laughs> he is a liar. <laughs> um Barton has been very popular among the right wing for several decades, um, including by my former governor, Sam fucking Brownback, um, who is a shitbag. Uh, and that's not a legally liable statement. <laughs> you are a shitbag, Sam Brownback in particular. Um, and Barton is also influential, uh, influential in conjoining right wing politics with evangelical issues. Um, he's also responsible for a lobbying group called wall builders mm. uh, no <laughs> yeah mm. i'll i'll, I'll give you two it, guesses as to what that one's about it's did not they it's, get sued it wouldn't be it wouldn't be about erecting the wall between church and state right no no that would not be it no um that would not no, be I, that. yeah that's wrong you have one more guess <laughs> well I, i'm also going to take the guess here that uh, David Barton gets a lot of his knowledge from two other authors that we're going to talk about here later on that were also full of complete bullshit at during the time. So I've got Dinesh D'Souza. Who's your other one? Oh, well, no, I wasn't talking about Dinesh D'Souza. I was talking about uh, Weem and McGuffrey. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we will get to them later. Yes, that's what I said, like, later on, like, we'll get to them. Mm -hmm. But it's, yes. you know, writings of the past yeah. that lead yes. to bullshit in the fucking present. Mm -hmm. Yes, but that's in the C segment, so... Don't yes. the gun, Ryan. No, so I said in the future we will be talking about them. We're not talking about them right now. We just well, know that his talk about them right now. Okay, I forget those two cart. names. Forget about cart, them, Ryan. Okay, I'm off. My show. <laughs> this is my episode today. <laughs> I just grab my mic. <laughs> Drink your Sorry. beer. Continue. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, I really want to impress upon you guys the importance of what Barton is doing here. Um, I'm going to take a quote from a Vox article about Barton. He perpetuates a cycle by creating deeply unbalanced history of America's foundations. He is able to legitimize the Christianized state he would like to promote. 
He has, uh, and as an at least ostensible historian, he is able to partner with Republican lawmakers to cast a veneer of academic respectability over a thoroughly anti-academic message. That's bad enough. I want to compare this to a, like, apropos of nothing, quote, by Jason Stanley, a Yale expert, 99% sure it's Yale, Yale expert on fascism. He did an interview on his book, How Fascism Works. I can't impress upon you enough that Stanley wasn't specifically writing about Barton here, but I want you to see how well this fits. Mm Mm-hmm. Fascist anti-intellectualism sets the traditions of the chosen nation, its dominant group above all other traditions. It represents more complex narratives as corrupting and dangerous. It prizes mythologizing about the nation's past and erasing any of its problematic features, as we see all too often in histories of the Confederacy and the Reconstruction period, or of the treatment of in history books of our indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. It seeks to replace truth with myth, transforming the education systems into methods of glorifying the ideologies and heritage of the members of the traditional ruling class. In fascist politics, universities, which prevent, uh, present a more complex and accurate version of history and current reality, are attacked for being places where dominant traditions or practices are critiqued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's their big fucking talking point, right? Is that, yeah. oh, everybody, you know, it's all these liberal colleges and professors who are telling us that we're wrong about shit. That's because you're fucking yeah. wrong about shit. The, yep. The revisionist it, it, history. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And which is what I heard from my own dad when in my history, my advanced placement history classes in high school started talking about the, the atrocities of Christopher Columbus, mm-hmm. my dad, who was raised Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. Jason Stanley goes on to finish. He says fascist ideology centers loyalty to power rather than truth in fascist thinking. The university is simply another tool to legitimate various illiberal hierarchies connected to historically dominant traditions. It centers loyalty to power rather than truth. Who does that yes. make us think of? <laughs> well, I mean, right? I, I'm going to go beyond who does that make us think of? Think of right now with the amount of states who don't want to teach critical race theory and are moving the teachings of how we actually treated different races in this fucking country to go with a mythologized fucking narrative. Mm-hmm. Think about the Republicans uh, voting against the January 6th commission. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. So Christian nationalist mythologizing about America's past is a precursor to the fascist movement we are seeing now. It's something that I, uh, I've seen building for about 20 years. I remember being young and being dragged to a libertarian constitution class when I lived in St. George, Utah, <laughs> taught by people who are now sympathizers and almost certainly co-conspirators with the Bundy family. Yeah. Not going to oh, name fuck. them because I don't know that for certain. And I actually don't want to get sued on that one. But there are a couple of individuals I can think of in particular who were part of that class. And I know now to be very close with the Bundy family. Mm. Was their last um, name Bundy? Uh, no, no. Their last name is similar to Jekyll, and that's all I'm going to get. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bundys, uh, like the Malheur Refuge, the Mm -hmm. Bureau of Land Management standoff folks, um, those guys, we're going to talk more about those guys in particular in a future episode, by the way. Anyway, when I went to that class, the gold fringe instructor spent, uh, the time of that class talking about how contemporary historical and legal studies were transmogrifying the origin of America into something unrecognizable, which would be a funny irony if it wasn't so damn dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, This took place in the early aughts, like 15 years ago. Right around that time, I started noticing right-wing talk show hosts talking about Islamofascism a lot. And in retrospect, given what we've learned about how Republicans project their own agenda onto their enemies – it makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. They weren't mad that Islam was fascist. They felt like fascism belonged to Christianity, but they probably <laughs> couldn't verbalize it as such. Hey, that's my fascism. You've got your fascism in my Christianity. No, you've right. got your you've got your Islam in my fascism. <laughs> you can't do that. Only I can do that. We're trying to run a theocracy here too, you fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Um, since then, Christian nationalists have gotten more and more outraged at the losses uh, their version of America has sustained in the face of gains by progressive mer- uh, movements. 
Gay marriage is not only legal, but LGBTQ people are fairly represented in the media. And this has yeah. happened in such a short time that I still remember movies and shows from my childhood that have F slurs in them. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but young people are pro-choice, pro-interracial marriage, and incredibly irre- irreligious. I worked with the Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers and a local humanist group in Texas to get humanist services and Air Force basic training. Before COVID, they were attended, those services, by approximately one out of every four basic trainees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are Let, all young people and from all no. walks of life. Let's, let's, let's not uh, minimize this. You fucking started that in basic training for them. You know what? No, I well, you provided the reason for for Jason Torpy of Math and um, Deb Bean and Victoria Getman. They were responsible for like building it. I was the True, guy, who but they needed that person said, there. Yeah, that, that needed to get yes. the ball rolling in the military. Yes, correct. But but they deserve so much more of the credit because yeah. they've kept it going for all yeah. these years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just the guy who raised his hand and said, hey, could you do this? I'm willing to take some of the hits to get it started. You were the person um, who wasn't just content to to be the bystander. Yeah. Um, but like this isn't about me. Like it's about them. And more importantly, it's about the fact that basic training graduates something like what? Eight. 800 to 1200 people a week, a week. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. A quarter of those are going to humanist services. That's wow. massive. That's fucking huge. Yeah. Right. Cause um, with Christianity in decline, a phenomenon known as reactionaryism has started coming into play. Christians have started adding nationalism to their ideology because they feel like their nation is slipping away from them. Uh, I like this John Stewart quote. When you're used to privilege, equality feels like discrimination. Mm -hmm. Couple that with a major economic crash, uh, education and demographic changes leading to increased purchasing power among women and minorities um, and a black president being elected. The patriarchal white Christians started feeling like America wasn't theirs anymore. Mm -hmm. So they turned to a mythological past, one where they ruled, whether it was true or not, because if once they were great, then they could make America great again. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole make America great again thing. Oh. Sorry. I had to like the line fucking worked. Like, no. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah that yeah. That's perfect. What I mean, it is, it's, it's like them hearkening to the past of when we were fucking yep. racist and misogynistic yep. in a bunch of, and, and, just erasing progress. We've tried to make right. in this country. Well, and Stanley has has like run out of ink writing about how fascists start with a mythologized past mm-hmm. to create something that people can look back to rather than yeah. forward to because progressives own the future. They've got to own time in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't agree with them, fuck it. They'll warp reality to match their view. Yeah. Well, and th- I mean, that goes perfectly with the with the line earlier about. They, they choose loyalty to power than the truth, right? They don't, they don't fucking right. care about the truth. They're going to no. stay loyal to power and they're maintaining mm-hmm. that power. Yeah. Which is more obvious than ever right fucking now. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to take a short break. And when we get back to you, we're going to briefly touch on um, some of the claims made by Christian nationalists about the founders. Okay. All right. This is Natalie Newell of Science Moms and the Parenthetical Science Podcast. You are listening to The Godless Revolution. What does Christianity say? Ah, those laws can be suspended. And in your favor, too, if you make the right prayers and propitiations and sacrifices. There can be a virgin can conceive. A dead body can walk again. Your leprosy can be cured. The blind can see. Nonsense. It's not moral to lie to children. It's not moral to lie to ignorant, uneducated people and to tell them, that if they will only believe nonsense, they can be saved. It's immoral. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you. Welcome back. Next, we're going to talk about claims made by Christian nationalists and the founders. So, 
Claims made by Christian nationalists, especially Barton, Dinesh D'Souza, those kinds of folks about the founders generally work within a template of making those founders more appealing to the current sentiments of Christian parishioners, especially those with a lower education who are thereby less able to criticize the false history. Um, What they're looking to do is to find whatever narrative the Christian nationalists are currently appealing to and to distort or outright lie the events surrounding the founders to match those sentiments sympathetically as much as possible. Mm. In Barton's books, the Jeff, sorry, in Barton's book, the Jefferson lies, which was pulled by his publisher due to the massive amount of lies and misrepresentations. He claimed that Thomas Jefferson was not in fact a deist who removed supernatural elements from the Bible, but instead was an Orthodox Christian and an opponent of slavery and racism. The latter is a somewhat insidious claim. Uh, There is a grain of truth. Jefferson did free his slaves, but only after his death. And the recent trend of conservatives trying to paint the founders as being more progressive than they actually are is an effort to tie is part of the effort to tie modern Democrats to Civil War Democrats, Mm. despite the intervening Southern strategy and its political realignment. It's a half-assed attempt to draw minority voters claiming to be the party of Lincoln. It also gives them a pass by allowing them to say that they revere anti-racists while still engaging in racist policy. It's it's really important to to think about this from where it comes, because there's a considerable amount of right wing propaganda that tries to paint Democrats as being like the party of racism. Um, I hear it all the time from fucking conservatives and and they draw further into the past. Right. And and try to associate themselves with the founding fathers and lie about founding fathers not being slave owners and not being racist, because otherwise them being slave owners, them being racist undermines their divine claim or their claim of divine inspiration to the Constitution. Right. Because now it's unattractive for slave owners to have written a document that enshrines slavery and to call that document divinely inspired. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's exactly the reason that they they have changed the narrative of why we even had a civil war in the first fucking place from, you know, it wasn't about it wasn't a question of slavery. It was a question of states rights. Yeah. But the the thing that states wanted to do was have fucking slaves. That's yep. that's the whole getting, fucking point. Yeah, and we're going to be getting into that a lot more in next week's episode, which is going to be talking about the reconstruction and southern strategy. Mm. Um but like this is where it starts. And I feel like there was a term that we talked about last segment about people who are revising history. Hmm. Anyway, mm, revisionists <laughs> or something. So, in his book The Founding Myth, Andrew Sadell highlights the history of two authors, Weems and then later McGuffey, who wrote school books about George Washington that represented him as dropping to a knee in prayer at Valley Forge. Fun fact, Weems is also the guy who made the cannot tell a lie myth of Washington chopping down a cherry tree. <laughs> so, he, so he created a lie around somebody not telling a lie. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. This myth is so persistent, it was still taught to me in grade school. Oh, I yeah. was taught in grade school in the 90s that the Valley Forge prayer and the chopping of the cherry tree were actual events that really happened. Oh, That's how here. persistent this shit is. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would wager a good amount of money that there is a... The Valley Forge painting is in the White House someplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's yeah, you know, that's where I was complete whole cloth yep. myth. Yeah. My grandparents that, that, had a had that painting on their wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was gonna say, yeah, that painting is probably so famous that everyone who's listening to this has seen it. The thing is, is yeah. there is zero evidence to suggest that that Valley Forge prayer ever happened. Um None. and a lot of evidence to say that it didn't. Correct. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be really honest here. I don't want to spend a terribly large amount of time amplifying the points that Christian nationalists make. Um, To be honest, like the last time that I did research on this kind of thing and read a Mark Levin book um, (laughs) was in 2015 and Google books still has an entire row dominated to trying to sell me like Candace Owens and Dinesh D'Souza shit. Oh no. So, 
<laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not doing it. Um, the important thing for you, listener, to know is that Christian nationalists try to recharacterize things using their era-specific uh, phrases. Uh, or, sorry, sorry, sorry. They try to characterize things that use era-specific phrases like in the year of our Lord mm-hmm. or socially mandatory religious attendance or the use of the term creator in the Declaration of Independence in order to buttress their own like myth of history. Mm-hmm. But those things all had like essentially secular purposes or they were conventions of the time. Most people or, aren't actually calling for divine intervention when they say, God bless you after you sneeze. Mm-hmm. Or or from what I've learned in Andrew Seidel's book, very political reasons for putting yes. that stuff in there to yep. gain trust. Mm-hmm. Or, and we talked a bit about that last week as well when we were talking about the use of um, the uh, chaplain at yeah. the continental conference continental congress uh uh the, the same chaplain who was a traitor oh so they're doing mm-hmm. so when they do these types of things what i what i hear you telling me is that they're doing yet another one of the things that they point to us on the left of doing and their their virtue signaling right they're yes. they're doing that that they fucking complain about all the goddamn time yet again yeah yeah, yeah. gop gaslight obstruct project yeah like I, I don't think it's in here. And like, I remember if it was Jefferson or Adams, uh, that during the Civil War, we went to France. He went to France, and he was trying to get the uh, uh, France to kind of come in with the Civil War, not Civil War, the uh, Revolutionary War. And uh, he was wearing a coonskin hat the whole time to try to play up mm-hmm. the narrative mm-hmm. they had in their mind of what someone in the new world what someone in the americas was like even though it was complete bullshit he was playing a narrative to try to win their approval mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it they do it quite often mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so let's talk about the founders actual beliefs um our buddy george george washington um is not historically religious. known to have been a communicant of the protestant episcopal church however he is well recorded as never having taken communion, including according to the minister of the church he attended most often. Mm. This is despite the fact that his wife did take the communion every week. There's no good reason for a priest to tell a lie about the first president when his wife took communion, knowing that it would make that president look better. Oh, yeah. Despite that, the minister said, nah, he didn't take it. Mm. Furthermore, Washington refused a priest or religious ritual on his deathbed, something that holds a lot more weight. If you learn more about how Washington died, Um, he gosh, I'm trying to remember the exact circumstances, but he got something like an, it was his wood teeth. Was it? Or are you fucking with me? I'm fucking with you because the the whole wood teeth was a bullshit. No, yeah, Yeah, it was ivory and horse teeth and human teeth and shit. I was like, what? Um, no, he, he got an infection of some type. It might've been from a flu or from a minor injury, but he started getting like ridiculously sick. Like you did back then. And the way that they would treat that kind of stuff medically was by bloodletting and enemas and literally blowing smoke in your ass and yeah. like pouring boiling water down your throat. Horrible. And, like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. He died in a state of absolute delirium and in literal torture pain. Mm -hmm. Um, most people would think of a God as something that could help relieve that pain. Or at least the anxiety of of facing your ultimate demise if you're a believing person, right? Right. And despite all of that, he refused a priest or any religious rituals when he was dying of all of that bullshit. Mm. And he also wasn't a consistent church goer. Right. Yeah. Like he wasn't like, oh, every Sunday I'm at church. No, he was a eh, I go when I want type guy. Mm-hmm. Wife is bothering me. I guess I'll go. I'll go. Um, <laughs> I'll go on the major holidays, I guess. Yeah. Um, in modern days, he would have been a fucking Easter and Christmas kind of guy. I'm sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Jefferson, when he like was preparing his will, wanted only three achievements inscribed on his gravestone. The University of Virginia, the Declaration of Independence, and the passage of the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. Oh, wow. That statute, um, which he passed before the Constitution was a thing, guaranteed that there would be no governmental support of religion financially. 
that the government could not take away rights um, due to a citizen's opinion on religion and that the pro and it, it also guaranteed the prohibition of religious tests for holding office. Wow. Oh, it sounds like a couple of our amendments that ended up getting it passed. Mm-hmm. That that statute was huh. the direct inspiration for the First Amendment. Wow. Yeah. Note that J-Dog didn't include <laughs> president on that list, but he did include the law that inspired the First Amendment. Jefferson yeah. is also the originator of the phrase wall of separation of church yep. and state. Mm-hmm. And the uh, he was writing to the, the Baptist, correct? Oh, I'm almost or- sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, um, it was, yeah, because they wanted their, because I remember it was, there's was kind of like the infighting at that time, like mm-hmm. which religion is going to be the religion of the United States, and he was basically like, no, we don't want any religion we're to, to be. We're, going yeah. to a, we're erecting a wall of separation. There isn't going to be a religion. We're not going to have a state-sponsored yeah. religion here. You can follow whatever religion you want, but we're not going to endorse any of them. Mm-hmm. So Ryan, you and I have have kind of gone back and forth on this, uh, back and forth on this before about the Jefferson Bible. Um, yeah. While I was rereading Sadell, I was reminded of a quote um, when asked about making that cut of the Bible. He told someone that it was like pulling diamonds from a dunghill. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Searching and scrabbling uh- along for something of, <laughs> of note or of worth among this yeah. giant pile of shit. Yep. I actually wonder. Uh, and I'm surprised I haven't looked this up already. If if you can still get a version of Thomas Jefferson's original version of the Bible. Yeah, I have one on my shelf. Oh, do you? Yeah, I have a Jefferson Bible on my shelf. It was actually given to me by the MAF when I was okay. in basic training. So thank oh, you, Jason. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd, I'd be uh, interested to in go through it to see exactly yeah. what he kept. Because mm-hmm. I know he, he all the superstition, all the Jesus, all the... All the magic religious was fucking taken out. Yeah. As far as I know, if it's not available on Amazon, reach out to math and see if they'll send you one. The American human association might have one too. Mm. Okay. Um, So James Madison wrote, quote, I have no doubt that religion and government will both exist in greater purity. The less they are mixed together. Mm -hmm. And while president, he vetoed two bills that would have granted land to churches. Mm. John Adams referred to the worship of the Christian religion as without the uh, monkery of priests. Um, At the very least, this is a rejection of the orthodox Christian view of Christian nationalists and likely points towards a desire that people's religious beliefs are less prescriptive and more private. Mm -hmm. So for history buffs out there, especially military strategy history buffs, uh, Ethan Allen is probably a name that you remember. They sell furniture, right? Huh? They yeah, sell furniture, right? My house. All right, now uh, <laughs> he he was uh, running his like detachment with Benedict Arnold um, and met with Henry Knox, and they broke the siege of Boston. Mm-hmm. After doing that, in the next church service that Boston held, a priest, Jedediah Dewey, launched into a sermon the following Sunday, praising God for the end of the siege, giving him full credit. Mm-hmm. Hearing this, Ethan Allen stood up and said, don't forget, Parson, I was there. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The Parson called him a blasphemer, but the sentiment is clear. This is a guy who felt like he had the clout and the reason to buck against the priesthood in the 1700s. Nice. Um. So, yeah, like those are some select views of the founding fathers. Now, yes, many of them were religious. Some of them were performatively religious, but many of them were about as secular as you could be during the Enlightenment era. And it's really important to know that regardless of whether or not they were particularly religious, they have definitely enshrined a government which is meant to be agnostic with regard to religion. Mm -hmm. They clearly established a wall of separation of church and state, and they very clearly set an early precedent in the early governance of our nation that said, nah, bro, do your religion on your own time. The government is for civic stuff, not religious stuff. Mm -hmm. They, they left societies that were ruled by, you know, the King of England, who was also the head of the Anglican church, right? They left behind places like a holy Roman empire, you know, and divinely inspired rule. 
uh, they left that shit behind. I mean, um, also, I, I think everyone knows the uh, uh, Treaty of Tripoli. Mm-hmm. That probably yeah, is atheist. You know what? Shit, you're right. I totally from uh, that. James yeah. Madison, who yep. basically yep. wholeheartedly wrote in there and had 100% approval of the mm-hmm. fucking Congress yeah. saying yeah, yeah. the United States is not established on a Christianity. Yeah. The The United States of America is not in any sense a Christian nation and will yes. never go to war with a Muslim country on the basis of religion. Quote. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That came from James Madison, an yep. author of the fucking yep. Constitution, the yep. fucking one of yep. the founding fathers unanimously I mean, that, approved of by the Congress of what, yes. uh, 1780, I believe, which Around, would have been predominantly the same people who founded the founded country. the country. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So so I want to give a part parting counter argument to something that we hear from Christian nationalists, um, which is that uh, they believe that religion was necessary for the governance of a good nation. It is true that many of the founding fathers believe that there is a difference between learned men and unsophisticated masses. Most of them wrote uh, somewhat extensively and definitely consistently. And when I say most of them, I mean a lot All of, of the them fathers almost. wrote Yeah, that religion and morality were not the same thing mm-hmm. as Christian nationalists would have you believe. But instead, the Christian religion was a society level substitute for a educated moral position that the unwashed masses did not have. They viewed religion as the thing that would keep the masses from going crazy because they didn't have the time or the education to develop a philosophy of their own. Andrew Seidel points out in his book, consistent surveys of nations in the modern era show that the lower the religiosity of a nation, the lower crime rates, the lower divorce rates, and the higher the happiness of its people. The founders were wrong, and that's okay. It's all right that the founders got something wrong. Mm. What's not okay is the Christian nationalists misrepresenting their position and perpetuating the myth that America must be a Christian nation for its own good. Oh, yeah. That's what I've got yeah. today. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I've, I mean, when I was reading it, the way I felt about it was he was like the founding fathers viewed themselves as a little bit of above everyone else a little bit. With yeah. uh, the Enlightenment era basically sinking, the people who are less educated mm-hmm. don't understand Enlightenment. Yeah. And, and so degree, they need something like, else to substitute it since they don't mm-hmm. understand it yet. They, they aren't acting as we are. Mm-hmm. I guess religion would be a good substitute. Yeah. To if you are functionally illiterate, you're not going to be reading philosophy. Right. Yeah. And so it makes sense that. If these folks, you know, who were functionally illiterate um, couldn't get access to the writings of Aristotle and Plato and Kant and all of that, that they wouldn't be able to develop a robust, um, you know, personal philosophy. The difference is, is that nowadays the countries that have the lowest level of religiosity are also the countries that have the highest levels of education, along with lower crime, lower divorce rates and higher levels of happiness. So, you know, the founders being wrong um, may end up just being because nowadays people are educated and we can educate people more easily. And that's fine. Um, so, yeah, so I don't, that's that's what I think. Yeah. So I don't know if I would go with. I, I don't know, because I would say the founding fathers are wrong for not leading people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. That they should have called for more education rather than religiosity as a crutch. Exactly. They, they they use religion as a crutch during that time frame instead of trying to lead them away from like, hey, here is the concept that we are trying mm-hmm. to go with. You don't need religion. Yeah, we're we're going to be I'm not saying an irreligious. Well, yeah, we're, we're going to be an irreligious country. We mm-hmm. don't need religion to support our morality and to prop hey. our country up. And it's hard. It's hard for me to blame them for that. I believe that it was either Germany or Austria that established the first public school system, and they didn't do so until like the 1850s. Yeah. So they couldn't have possibly anticipated the idea of like, no, we could put every single kid in school. Most people were still subsistence farmers or tradesmen yeah. at the time who needed their kids out tilling the fields or holding a beam for them to saw. And um, I, I do agree that logistically at that time it would have been hard to. Yeah try to educate a country and try to get out that narrative 
of the right. Enlightenment era. Well, yeah, I and I mean, they're asking a bit much of them. Yeah, well, and they're setting yeah. down, they're the framers, right? They're setting down the framework for what would yeah. become the United States of America. They're not, they're not designing an overarching system of government. They're, they're giving us the tools in order to create a better government for the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jefferson why it's says a that he would document. have preferred. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Jefferson said on that note, he said that he would have preferred that the constitution be rewritten every 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, which, yeah. Originalist arguments are terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Originalism <laughs> is awful. So that's what I've got for today. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about the Reconstruction era and how that's really the origin of the like modern Christian nationalist movement. Uh, and going forward from there, we're going to be talking about uh, the contemporary Christian nationalist movement in like a couple of weeks. And we will give you more specifics on that next episode. Um, Thank you for listening to this. Um, We're trying to make this series kind of one of those things that you can like share with people who might not be regular listeners to the show um, so that, you know, they can benefit from unlearning some of the bullshit that they may have uh, Mm -hmm. heard. So hopefully this is helpful to you. Um, Hopefully this is helpful to the people around you. Uh, and you know, feel free to comment on our various social media if there is stuff that you want us to go into more detail on. Um, if we missed something or got something wrong, um, please provide us feedback. Um, I hope this helps you guys out. Yeah, yeah, I think this is great. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to definitely keep it in my toolkit. I would also say read Andrew Seidel's book, The Founding yeah. Myth. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend. It was my favorite book of two, uh, 2019. It's also an audio book. If you don't like to read, I have it in both forms. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's, it's I'm, just I'm a big fan. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Um, so. Well, thank you both for that. That was awesome. Uh, I appreciate you putting in all of the work and research on this. Before we go, I want to make sure that we thank our Patreon supporters. That would be two skeptical chaps. Alan Firth. Don't be a Richard. Hunter Grin. John McCullough. Ollie Olson, who has a shirt on the way to you. I dropped it off at the post office today. Dude, it was almost twice as much to just fucking mail the shirt than it was to order the shirt. <laughs> You're welcome, Ollie. <laughs> Sinead Duffy. Steve Kuno. Steven Andrus. Tiffany Hudson. Vanessa. All hail, Peanut Butra. Andrew Vodapich. Corey Ebert. Jeff Peterson. Jeremy Goodson. Megan Mitchell. Utah Outcasts. Wesley Aaron. Freethinker215. Matthew Sanders. Chad Pryor. Janet Uter. Purple Dragon. Savita Kuna. Jean Paul Sartre. Tim Jacobson. Trisha Weir. A noble spirit embiggens the smallest man. A perfectly cromulent statement. That's how it's See, done, Ryan. Ryan. not that hard. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Ted Sellen. Sarah uh, Segovia? Yes. Which is a new Patreon. Yeah, new patron. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, and then I'll say James yeah. is, is the last uh, patron that we needed to mention. Thank you very much, everybody, for being patrons of the show. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, real quick, I wanted to mention... How, how Sarah became a member of our Patreon patrons. Um, I, I recently ordered, well, not recently. It's been a couple months since I ordered these Cthulhu. They were supposed to be stained glass Cthulhu things to hang in the window, right? And when they arrived six weeks after I initially ordered them, I had by that time forgotten that I had even ordered them because it had been so long. But when they came, the things that I got were fucking garbage. It's cheap knockoff it's not stained glass it's plastic like with a painted sticker or printed color sticker stuck to this plastic and like they're just fucking awful and so i saw this ad on facebook offering these same things that i had just gotten and i saw and knew that they were fucking terrible so i made a comment about how terrible they were and i posted a picture saying that it's just this cheap piece of plastic it's like it's basically like shrinky dinks for anybody who can remember those and I think it was the next day or the day after I received a notification that somebody had, you know, posted a reply to my comment and it was Sarah Segovia. And she 
posted a link to her website and said that the company who that is selling these products on Facebook is basically they've stolen her intellectual property. She created these. She's a stained glass artist. Like she teaches classes on how to make stained glass shit. She's a legit person who's making this awesome product and this cheap ass, you know, fly by night, run of the mill company or person has stolen her design and then is pumping out these cheap knockoffs that are not at all stained glass and are fucking garbage. And, you know, so she posted a link there and I went out and immediately, of course, purchased one of the Cthulhu designs from her website, from her. And then I went to her personal timeline and she had made a similar post about this ad on Facebook and the people should report it as, you know, garbage and a scam. And then I made a comment saying, Hey, Thanks for posting your comment here. I want you to know I've gone out and placed a, a order for your actual stained glass Cthulhu, and I'm very excited to have it show up. And then it was probably three or four days after that, I, I received the notification that she's a Patreon patron now. So thank you very much, Sarah. Welcome aboard. That yeah, was awesome. That awesome. was really cool. And I look forward to doing that. I will post a link to Sarah's site in case anybody is interested in purchasing the the Cthulhu thing, or she's got a ton of other awesome designs that you can check out because the work is really, really good. She's very talented. And like I say, does it for a living and teaches other people how to make stained glass items. So I'll be sure to post a link to that. Thank you guys very much for doing all of this. It's been awesome. I look forward to next week's episode as well. And so until then, it's going to be Deno out. Uh, hopefully there's not a whole lot of family drama the rest of the week. Bye, Dan. Bye. Uh, smash that subscribe button. Um, no, thank you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan's like, I just got guns falling out of my butthole at this point. You got two six shooters a nine mil and a 40. All right. Between, (laughs) between those six shooters and your mustache, you're Yosemite Sam now. (laughs) Actually, I had just taken all these other cases a month ago and never put them back. (laughs) I'm an emo bitch.